Welcome back to Building Billions. I am jonesing to do this episode. I'm so excited. I don't think I've ever been this optimistic and energetic about the future, about what we're up to, about the change that can be created across this country, across this world. I'm just, I'm pumped. And I'm pumped because I went to this series of events, a series of events, also, um, I worked out like I finished two minutes ago, so I'm a little out of breath, but I just, it's too good not to start right now. Uh, we went to the series of events that just wrapped up yesterday, hosted by the Milken Institute. Now, I had heard of Michael Milken before, uh, and as we got introduced from an awesome team member of ours to the Milken Institute, we were invited starting back in. August to this Milken event. And I had no expectations of what this was back in August in the Hamptons. And it was a really cool forum. It's the same forum in the Hamptons as it was that we just went to in Palm Beach. And then we trickled down from Palm Beach, which is about an hour outside of Miami to do the same thing there. So what happens is these mega wealthy people open their homes up for people who are doing cool things to sit on a panel and for people in government, in business, in finance, uh, in education to sit and listen to this conversation about different topics and you're allowed to ask questions and really just get a more broad-based understanding of a variety of different topics that you might not I don't have access to, like, I'm not sitting there listening to, um, conversations around economic competitiveness or the future of AI and healthcare from the people who are actually creating those things. Like that's, that's not what my day to day looks like. You know what my day to day looks like. I'm answering emails from my team members and I'm talking to our clients and I'm building spreadsheets and looking at data. My day to day is not looking at global economic trends and emerging technologies and the impact of, you know, regulatory changes to all of that stuff. So it's super cool to go to these things because first of all, I learn a shit ton. Second of all, the people there are doing amazing things in this world. And it's so inspiring to me to be around people who are doing amazing things. So I want to share some of my takeaways. One of the things that is also important for me to share is, um, Let's see, Chatham House. So they follow what's called Chatham House rules. I just literally Googled that. And Chatham House rules, according to Google, when a meeting is held under the Chatham House rule, participants are free to use the information received, but neither the identity nor the affiliation of the speakers nor any other participant may be revealed. Okay, that's super interesting because I was about to tell you guys some people, but now apparently I can't do that. So I'm going to tell you what I learned. And when I tell you that I learned these things, I learned it from the people who are running multi-billion dollar funds, VC funds, private equity funds, uh, hedge funds, or people who are invested hundreds of millions in healthcare and AI and technology and have made wealth there. So I can't say any names. The names are freaking impressive. 
so here we go. It's going to share the takeaway. So it started on Saturday. Well, really, we went to dinner Friday night. <clears throat> Friday night was beautiful. This I've never been to Palm Beach before. And just the grandioseness of Palm Beach. You know, you've got the palm trees and these gorgeous buildings with large pillars. And it was just stunning. It was absolutely stunning. The dinner was beautiful and amazing. And it was to raise money for prostate cancer, which is an incredible cause. Uh, so Monday, I'm sorry. So Saturday rolled around and the first session that I went to was on United States economic competitiveness, which I studied macroeconomics in college. So this is naturally something that is pretty interesting to me. Uh, and one of the main topics on this panel was as lot as innovation in healthcare is taking place and the average lifespan is increasing across the world, but specifically in the United States, how do we create a education model for adults to continue to up-level their skills while AI is a massive disruptor in the space? And man, I wish I could say who was there. This is such a bummer. Um, Somebody who is at the forefront of research in HR was just giving all of these stats about the workforce, the population being in whole, in the aggregate, disengaged. We are paying more. So we've got three factors. Disengagement across the population of workers. Uh, We are paying more to workers due to inflation. And productivity is down, which all three of these factors combined is really not a promising picture. So what is the solution? Well, how do we inspire the middle-aged worker to want to learn new skills? If we can solve that problem, the United States stays competitive, the world, we become more productive the talent challenge that many of us as business owners feel goes away because we would have a workforce of people who not only wanted to learn, but also had access to tools to educate themselves. And instead of a 45-year-old educating themselves, what does a 45-year-old do? Well, most 45-year-olds get entertained from TikTok, from Instagram, from Netflix, So what is our responsibility? And I've really been putting a lot of thought into this. Our responsibility, my responsibility to educate and to make learning and information exciting and inspirational and to instill belief in people who might have been stuck in the same career for 20 years. But if their life, if lifespan is going to increase, which it is, there's a lot of years left for this group of workers to learn new things and to be productive because they are going to have to be because they are not going to have a financial cushion to fall back on in two decades like previous generation or one decade like previous generations. They are going to have to figure this whole making money thing and continue to say valuable to the workforce. But the only way that they do that with AI coming in and with what is it AGI uh, coming in is by education and learning skills that are valuable. And so I've just been marinating on the different ways that I can do this, but you as a business owner, how are you 
educating and making education fun for your your workforce that falls all of your team members, but specifically the workforce that falls between 30 and 55. Like, what are you doing? Ideally, you're talking about PPFs. This is where if you have not been to a 10X 360, you need to come to a 10X 360. You need to figure out how to run your business in a different way so that you can engage your team and they are inspired and are interested in educating themselves to get valuable skill set to achieve their goals. But this isn't just a your business and your productivity and your goal problem. This is a nationwide issue. You are contributing to the competitiveness of the United States economy. It's so much bigger than just our small businesses. And that was one of the resounding themes that I just kept hearing and kept resonating with throughout the course of this event. I'm gonna keep rolling. Um, the, the conversation that morning got a little bit dicey and a little hairy. Some people were asking questions that got very targeted um, politically and the Milken Institute is bipartisan. So one of the moderators reset and said, with all of this data, with all of this stuff that's being thrown out, we need to get back to why we're talking about this. He said, our objective is to change the course of history. Nothing happens if we don't show up. Nothing happens if we don't show up. If you and me do not show up, if we do not inspire, if we do not create opportunities for education, if we do not live our lives in a way that is an example and creates opportunities for other people, nothing happens. It is, it is incumbent upon us. It is not this next election cycle. It is not elected government officials. It is us. Nothing happens if we don't show up. So you might feel like, oh man, how am I supposed to help solve this education problem with lifespan increasing for 45-year-olds? You do what you need to do to inspire people that you know to believe in themselves. You do that through how you show up every single day. Your impact is not small. My impact is not small. We cannot continue to convince ourselves that how we show up doesn't matter. It matters. It matters significantly. And I do believe that we can change the course of the country and the course of history through the way that we show up today in 2024. I believe that. I hope you believe that too. I urge you to think about what your real responsibility is to change the direction today. What is your real responsibility and how can you take responsibility for a piece of it? Okay, that was US competitiveness. Uh, there was another panel right after that, your metabolism, your health, really talking about the impact of metabolism and your microbiome uh, the, and, and your hormones and all that stuff. It was very health related. Uh, one takeaway I got from this was the importance of drinking water, the importance of hydration for the core functions of your body and the recommended guideline from somebody who works, a uh, medical doctor who works with the medical school in Florida, I'm blanking on the name of it. Uh, for men, if you're a man, you should be drinking half your weight in ounces a day of water. If you're a woman, you should be drinking a third of your weight in ounces of water a day. Uh, everything else in that session got a little like dense and also so water and we know this whole foods stop eating packaged foods stop eating things that come in a bag stop eating uh, deli meat stop eating salami anything that comes that is pre-packaged that is salted I don't know if you knew this I did not know this that uh, 
according to the World Health Organization, lunch meat and packaged meat like salami and ham and turkey is considered a class one, class one, uh, it's up there with tobacco and alcohol, just tobacco for uh, cancer causing. Uh, I will find this actual study. Give me just like one second here. Okay, I found it. Uh, ham, bacon, salami, is it, uh, and those like sausages. Group one carcinogen known to cause cancer, which means there's a strong evidence that processed meats cause cancer, according to the World Health Organization. I drink, I eat a lot of stuff like that, so no freaking more. Okay, on to the next. This was my absolute favorite session. And to be honest, this completely shocked me because I had no interest the night before in going to this event. The event was called Brunch, a conversation with leaders in art and culture. And then the description, what drives the collector's vision, what they collect, how they collect, why they collect, and how that vision intersects with public and cultural institutions. What will this generation's museums, leaders, artists, educators, and philanthropists bring to art institutions? And how will they positively impact their communities? I honestly told Brandon, I was like, I don't think we need to go to this. There's nothing here for me. I do not know anything about this. I do not care to know anything about this. But the number one rule of success, according to Grant Cardone, is show up. So we showed up. First of all, the home that this event was in was one of the most gorgeous homes I've ever been to in my entire life. Just walking in that home was an inspiration. It was a moment that I will never forget in my entire life. It was spectacular. Being in spaces that inspire you is so important because it changes your perspective. Looking at a nice home on Instagram is different than walking through one, especially when the owners are there and they're approachable people and they're wonderful people. And you would know them if I shared with you who they are, but I'm not going to do that. So art. One takeaway on this for me was, is that the things that you think that you don't like, the things that you like, maybe judge a little bit. Like I might be a little judgy of art. I'm like, Oh, what's the point? People just like are wasting their time. Those are kind of my internal thoughts about art. Those things are normally the things that you just don't understand because if you understood it, you would likely appreciate it. If there's a whole group of people that love this thing, especially people who are sophisticated and educated and wealthy, if they love this thing, there is likely something to it. So before you just get all negative and I'm speaking to myself here, before you just get negative and think that it's not for you and it's just for other people, you should like, don't knock it till you try it. And I feel this way with other things that are like, quote unquote, wealthy, like horses. I know nothing about horses in the equestrian industry and polo. I probably just don't understand it. And if I had somebody who was telling me about it that really appreciated, I'd probably appreciate it and also find joy and fulfillment through it. So listening to these panelists, uh, these panelists have some of the world's largest collections and have spent hundreds of millions, if not over a billion dollars on their art collections and sit on the boards of some of the most known museums in the world. Uh, and they all talked about why they love art and what I loved about one of the 
men said was, you have to be obsessive. I was like, art, I thought of this as a passion. And what I didn't understand is how competitive it really is and how difficult it is to get these certain pieces and to, to locate things and the negotiation and, and like anything, the relationships that have to be built to know what is good, what is worthwhile, what is legit, how to access those pieces. There's fraud involved. There, there's just so many dynamics that I didn't understand. And when he said, you have to be obsessive, it's like, wow, the same principles that I know to be true about business are true in art. And another gentleman said, art is beauty. Life is ugly and beautiful. Choose what you focus on. So true. You could be anywhere and choose to focus on how ugly things are and how difficult they are and war and troubles and problems or in the same space and time you can choose to look at what's beautiful and what's changing history and what's making a statement and that is art and so I loved him saying that uh, and just listening to their perspectives on why they collect and the impact that art has on culture and the way that they choose to use art to spend time with loved ones. Like I'd love to go to museums with Brandon. I'm going to start going to museums with Brandon because we can start to learn what we like and understand more about this. Uh, but also the groups of people that you will meet through having a hobby like this. Most of them talked about how they use art as an outlet while they're building their businesses. Again, some of the largest hedge funds, VC funds in the globe, the founders of those, acting CEOs of those were the, the panelists. And they use it as this different outlet from business. It's similar, but it's a hobby and it gives them access to a different crowd of people, different thoughts, different, different perspectives. I was like, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to also be competitive and great in another area of life that they can have domain expertise in? I can be a great business owner, I can be in great shape, and I can have hobbies that include art where I'm meeting new and interesting people. And so it was just very fascinating to me to listen to them. And I was beyond inspired by what they've created, how much they spend with their money and their time in the art world, and how proud and happy they are with that investment. And it really opened my eyes up to that possibility for my own life. Okay, there were a couple other panels that day, but I am going to skip to the good stuff. So yesterday, uh, there were, let's see here, there were four panels yesterday, uh, two of them on artificial intelligence in technology and then also in healthcare, and the other two were on uh, challenges and opportunities in venture capital. Super freaking cool. That was one of my favorites. And uh, why it was one of my favorites is they're talking about the cycle that we're in right now where there's not a lot of investment going on. There, there was in 2021 when the market due to COVID and the pandemic was really just screaming. And now they have founders where their business two years ago was worth a billion dollars and today it's worth a hundred million dollars and the panelists are the investors in many of these large companies large large companies all companies that you would know and talking about the fact that most of these companies are run by kids 
young people who have never been through tough cycles like this. And one of the comments that a gentleman made was faster entrepreneurs accept reality. The faster entrepreneurs accept reality, the better. So many entrepreneurs he was sharing just put their head in the sand and don't accept what, what their actual value is today. And he said they're shocked when they go through cycles. Where are you and where are you worth today? And when you can accept that, you can make decisions based on where the cycle is today because the cycle is different than it was 18 months ago. And decision-making and spending and where you're investing your team's time is different than 18 months ago. You cannot continue to operate like 18 months ago today. And he also made this comment of, back 18 months ago, he's like, you should be thinking about where you're spending your time, where you're prioritizing your resources efficiently because a negative cycle, a down cycle is going to happen. And he said just most of them didn't listen and got caught up in how good everything was that they didn't stay prudent. And now there's reduction in forces, uh, you know, layoffs taking place because they weren't prudent back then and listening to his advice. And, you know, how obvious is that? But I think all of us have had an experience in life where we just thought things were always going to be good and we didn't use our resources wisely. And today, knowing the market that we're in, how can you set yourself up to accept where you're at right now? Totally accept, come to full acceptance what you are worth, what your business is worth, what the value of your assets are worth, so that you can make decisions in order to grow that instead of choosing to believe that, oh, at some future point in time, it's going to look different. Well, it's only going to look different if you make different decisions today to create value. Uh, one of the panelists was also talking about the executive chairman role, especially in some of these large tech companies. And I know most of you do not have executive chairmans or structure, a board structure, or any sort of structure like that in your business. You're the CEO, founder, owner, operator of your business. Uh, but with, as he was explaining this executive chairman role, he, he made such a simple statement that is relevant to you, which is give control away of things that you aren't good at. And that's what the executive chairman should be doing. And that's what he was recommending other team members do. And I thought that was a beautiful recommendation for you as well. Give control of things you aren't good at. Let somebody competent do those things. None of them were up there who were phenomenal at product, at technology, at finance, at accounting. Like somebody else ran those things and they remembered what their job is. What is your job? And do that thing and give control of the other things to people who are better at those things than you. Okay. The last couple pieces here, one of the panelists is known for the way that he structured his business model uh, because he did it so innovatively and so differently than his competition. And he's really a pioneer in his space. And he said the way that he thought about this was through becoming a solution provider to both the investor and the bank. Most companies like his, most investment firms, are the solution provider just to the investor and to the business that they're investing in, but not to the bank. And this particular entity 
is a solution provider. He, he viewed himself as a solution provider to both. So they created interesting different ways to entice banks that their competition did not, and they've become a, a market leader in this. So how can you become a solution provider to maybe not just your customer, maybe you're also a solution provider to your vendor? Or I know we have a lot of home services businesses who are struggling to find talent. Like how do you become not just a solution provider to your client, but a solution provider to the best talent in your market? How do you provide the solution to them? What is the problem that they have and how do you provide that solution? Fascinating. Okay. Um, the other panels that I went to yesterday were uh, the leaders. Oh, no, that was a different one. Uh, challenge. Oh, we already talked about the VC one. Uh, artificial intelligence driving data forward. Uh, healthcare and bioscience. This one was fascinating. I'll just, I'll land on one of my favorite takeaways from the uh, artificial intelligence driving data forward uh, panel. Super simple formula for value creation. You might want to write this down or type it or make a note wherever you are if you're driving, walking. This gentleman said value equals outcome over cost. Value equals outcome over cost. And the simplicity of that made me think about going back to the first day of creating valuable team members to solve the problems of our workforce. How do we create, how do they create value and get educated, be taught that true value means that the outcome, the result is greater than the cost of that result. And to me, there's so many different ways it, as a business owner that you can apply this value equation and be thinking about solutions that you're providing back to the solution providers. I'm really going to do a good job tying this whole thing together. I can just feel it. I love it when this happens. Um, how do you, how do you become a solution provider that is creating value by prioritizing the outcome and having the outcome outweigh whatever the cost is? And I love just the simplicity of this value equation because there's a bunch of value equations out there that I think can be confusing to people. But if you were to make a mantra in your organization, guys, we are creating value. How can we create value that equals outcome over the cost? Encouraging yourself and your leadership team to be thinking about this as it relates to the products and services that you offer, how you are staying competitive against people in your marketplace, how you are getting talent, what value are you creating that for them gives a perfect example of this. We had a team member who uh, decided not to move forward with us because they were concerned that they weren't going to be able to be as present of a parent and their value was being a parent, but to us, their value was inordinate. And so we walked them through, okay, what is the outcome 
that you're looking for. You're looking to be a very present mother. Okay, let's talk about what does being a present mother mean? Okay, we can help you in these areas. Like you can prioritize two hours on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, this time, and maybe not get to do the pickup at 3.30. Like maybe that's not gonna be the pickup. You're not gonna be the pickup person. But if you could spend this time and the weekends doing really special activities while also having a career where you're showing your kids how much of a badass you are and an example that you can be and actually produce something that they are proud that like their mom is responsible for, would the cost of creating something great over uh, the, would the cost of that, would the outcome of that outweigh the cost of maybe not being the pickup person? Would the outcome outweigh the cost? Because is the cost really just the pickup person? Like, is that, is that what's going to be the thing that stops this outcome that really creates value for all of us? And having this conversation and, and going through it like this, you can, you can influence people to make choices that look different through working with you. You can really have conversations about how to help them prioritize so that they can do it all. I believe that people can do it all. I believe that it is a responsibility of people who have high potential to do it all. So really breaking down this value equation and walking people through what is the cost, what is the outcome, and the fact that that creates value became just like super simple to me. Uh, and then the last piece on this is the there was a gentleman who his work is all about precision. And if I could tell you what his work is, you would fully understand what I mean by that. Uh, and he just kept saying over and over again, precision matters, precision matters, precision matters, showing up, doing it the right way, having processes, having systems, having a culture where when you say something, it gets done and you ensure that it gets done matters. Precision matters in your environment. It, it does not matter to just let everything be loose and you say something, but then you go back on it or you don't follow up and you're not disciplined. No, like it's okay that you create an environment where precision matters. When I step onto an airplane, I want to know that the pilots went to a school where precision matters. When your customer does business with you, you should want them to feel like there's precision in the way that you run your operation. Not that it's sloppy, not that you know that Joe is slacking off or maybe he's drinking on the job. Like, no, precision freaking matters. And feeling okay with expecting precision instead of, oh, it's okay, it can be loosey-goosey. He really inspired me to just say, this is the line, I'm drawing the line because precision does matter. And people in this world of chaos and confusion want to do business with companies that are willing to take enough of a stand to say, precision is important. And doing things the right way is important. And I'm going to choose to be a business owner who does things the right way because I can confront people who aren't doing things the right way. All right. I got to run. I appreciate you. I hope that this was helpful. Let me know what your takeaways are uh, and share this, share this episode. If you found value in this, would love to have this episode be shared to friends, family, anybody who is going through the process of building something 
wanting to believe in themselves, wanting to change the world, I will leave with this. Nothing happens if we don't show up. Nothing happens. So how can you show up?